Welcome to the 905er. Uh, my name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, we just wanted to start off today by um, giving a quick shout out to our new Patreon uh, supporters and uh, thank you to them. This is a really important part of what we're going to be doing going forward. Obviously, we want this podcast to be something that improves and gets better and better. And uh, we need a certain amount of money to be able to do that. Um, one of the things that I think it's worth mentioning is we've had quite a few journalists come on here now. And they've been uh, very generous in giving their time free of charge, but these are professional people. It'd be great if we could offer people you know, money to come onto the podcast. Uh, and there are also various fees, obviously, with, with just running this. And um, it is really important. And, and the support that um, quite a few people have shown now already is, is so appreciated. So thanks so much for doing that. And we do encourage other people to consider it as well. I think it should also be pointed out that um, media is, is suffering a, a huge setback uh, uh, in recent years because of just a changing model, I think, of how people get their news. Podcasts, I think, is a new – what we're doing here is a new industry, and it's a new way for people to hear from voices that they wouldn't normally hear in a format that they normally aren't able to enjoy. And by contributing to our our Patreon and donating just $5 a month uh, to us, you help us keep it going. You help us uh, explore other options to uh, to bring information to you that matters to you. And it keeps us independent. It keeps us able to not be accountable to you, the listener, to hear what you want to hear, not what big legacy media wants you to hear. Uh, and that's an important part of what we were trying to do here uh, from the from the get-go. And so uh, to our the existing Patreon supporters that we have, thank you very much. You're, you've helped us on our, on our journey. And if you've been considering trying to support independent media, uh, especially local independent media like what we're doing here, please go visit our Patreon uh, page. The link is in the uh, show details. Uh, and contribute uh, $5 a month. It'll help uh, go a long way and you'll be doing a good thing. Absolutely. And we're truly honored that so many people have already uh, come on board. Uh, it's um, It means a huge amount. It really does mean a huge amount. And it, it makes us feel like uh, we're doing something that that, that, uh, that people are appreciating. And this is just the beginning, really. We hope this mm -hmm. is just the beginning. We do have big, uh, okay. big visions for this, uh, for this endeavor, and we want you to be part of it. So please do consider uh, supporting us for a small you know, price of a Starbucks coffee. Uh, will go a long, long way. So let's get back to uh, the news. And, um, you know, it's, it's COVID again, isn't it? I mean, it's it's dominating everything, but it, it it's, you know, and you can say, well, this is a national problem, not a 905 issue, but really it, it's, it's 905 too. And in many ways, what's been happening in 905 has kind of typified uh, the challenges and the debate about the best way to handle this. Well, the, um, the Nine Hundred Five region has be, kind of become the epicenter, at least in Ontario, for the for COVID nineteen. Um, you know, we've got, I think, every region in uh, in the Nine Hundred Five is pretty much, if not locked down, just just close to it. Um, I mean, we're, we're not. Uh, we're, we're it. We're we're COVID nineteen central. Unfortunately, it, when you, when you're that when you're in the red zone as it is, uh, it's impossible not to not to talk about it. And I, I think our discussions this week with uh, Jill and Laura were uh, right on the money. We we didn't we didn't time it for this by any stretch of the imagination. It just kind of fell into our laps. But it's uh it was that that's the timing of it. You know, it seems like the last few weeks we've been arguing about the right to 
go and buy a burger and sit down inside the restaurant. And that's an example I use because about a week ago, I went and bought a burger and I didn't sit down in the restaurant. I had no intention of sitting down. I wanted to get in and get out. But I went in there and I'm not going to name the place because I think they were probably abiding by every regulation. But I went in, it was pretty much packed. Every table was full. It was hot. It was steamy. There was a big lineup. And I should have turned around and walked out and I didn't. Those were the regulations at the time. Um, but the price of that insistence that we try and keep restaurants as uh, free and open as possible has been what we've heard from from, uh, from uh, Laura and Jill today, that, that they can't even, even six foot is too close to be to your daughter or your mother. Um, or the best you can do is sit outside in the freezing cold next to a busy road where you can't even hear each other speak. You know, it's easy to blame the promise for this, but I'm going to blame, blame all of us um, that we, we have prioritized our own comfort over uh, people who are extremely vulnerable. I certainly tweeted this earlier in the week, um, you know, that it was Remembrance Week. And quite rightly, everybody's talking about the sacrifices of previous generations. Well, there's Previous generations, many of them are still alive, and many of them are in long-term care with dementia, like Jill's mother, who grew up in London during the Second World War with the Blitz. Not every person that we remember needed to have fought in the war to have experienced uh, and come through those horrors, and those are things that we remember too. And yet, we're not going to treat people like that as a priority. Um, it doesn't seem right. It, I mean, I, I find... I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, we've we've had small business people on the on the podcast, and I've spoken with small business people outside outside of this. Just to you know, I'm curious how how are they doing? And it, the general consensus is the status quo isn't working. And I think that's the frustrating part is that we want to keep small businesses alive, restaurants alive, and we want to keep them going. And I get it; they're they are the backbone of our economy. We do need to come up with a solution. The problem is. Our case numbers just keep going up. That wh whatever plan is in place does not seem to be working, um, and I, I, I can't, you know, it may I can't really blame us for it, Roland. I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one because I, I, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know how I can help bring COVID nineteen numbers down. I think it's unfair to put that burden on the rest of us to say, guys, you know, when Doug Ford stands to the microphone and says, guys, you know, you get your act together. I, th I think we all look at each other and say, we want to, but how? You know, is it is it safe to go to a restaurant? I suppose so. Is it, it, it you know, what what's the cost of that? And if the cost is we're we're locking seniors away in long term care homes and people with disabilities in their group homes, it, you know, is that the is that a price we're willing to pay? And I, I don't, I don't, I want to think, no, we're not. But, you know, it's kind of what Jill, Jill was saying on the, on the episode. We, we need to restart rethinking this. We need to start, we need to start thinking how that this is going to change the way our society operates. And the funny thing is, I, I know small businesses are all on board with change. The problem is they don't know how, you know, and I, and they, they can't be blamed. They're, they're, they, you know, they make burgers and they serve drinks. They're not epidemiologists. They're not. They're not these scientists that can say, "Okay, I'm going to switch over to making to doing it this way to make it safer." They want to know how, and in some cases, they will need capital. And that's the frustrating part: is this provincial government 
does not seem to want to do the hard work that's necessary now is that we need to start thinking of changing the way that we do things, whether that small businesses might need some capital to switch online to, to make sales and to talk about rebranding themselves in an online digital world. Uh, I spoke with one, I spoke with one, one company. I'm not going to name names either. Cause I don't, I don't have permission to, but I spoke with them and they were, uh, they were saying it was, it was frustrating. They, they saw this coming. They tried to put the effort into going online digitally and they put all they put all this capital into the, of their own of their own funds into it and put all the effort into it. They they started to rebrand on online on their social media, and then Doug just said, "Okay, we're we're going we're reopening. We're all we're all back to uh, in store purchases." And all that work, all that effort was for naught. And so they're like, oh, "Okay, we just spent all this money for no reason." They went back into in store purchases, and now it looks like oh, we're going back into another lockdown. Or, or stage red or whatever we are now. And so now they well, now in their neck of now that's the way they're going to survive is doing an online retail experience. Now, you know, where, where's the, where's the provincial plan to help that to say, to provide either a low interest loan or just a, a preferably some kind of grant to help, to help facilitate this so that, yeah, we can, our economy can still function, but maybe if we need to go into stricter isolation protocols to keep everyone safe, then we can do so, or maybe we can ease up and allow a little bit more social social uh, interactions, uh, if need be. But there's no mo- there's no money being spent. I mean, we we heard mentioned uh, on the podcast uh, early uh, the other day. David Hurley had the Ontario Financial Accountability Officer on, and he said the government, the provincial government, is sitting on nine point three billion dollars in unspent COVID funds. I mean, that's that's a huge amount. You know why, why isn't that going into into increasing our testing capacity so that we can get ahead of this? We can do spontaneous testing to see where where our hotspots flashing up. Yeah, you know maybe we can get in front of it as opposed to uh, muddling our way through as we currently are. It's a frustrating turn of events right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean there's a there's a kind of dichotomy. I mean, when I was speaking about it being on us earlier, I, I didn't actually mean in the short term. I meant kind of more in the long term. That we have not prioritized um, the we have not prioritized long term care as something in this province. In the short term, we've had the province sending mixed messages, confusing confusing messaging that people simply don't understand. And I certainly don't blame people for for hearing the different messages and picking the one that's that's that seemed most uh, appropriate or convenient for them. So I don't think any blame uh, comes to people for for doing what they're told when what they're t- being told is all over the place. This nine billion of spending is it's like, you know, this nine billion isn't there for next year. It's for COVID, which is happening now. Goodness knows. Let's hope there's a vaccine, but we have no idea when that's. Well, okay. Come on, along. on that on that note, uh, Roland, here's the problem with waiting for a vaccine. Uh, this is by the sidebar. You and I have both wanted to go get our flu shots this year. And, and we, yeah. we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we found out that we're both in the same um, family health office or, or group, and they both sent out emails to us uh, saying that, yeah, the p- scheduled flu drive-through flu vaccination clinic that they had mm-hmm. planned had to be canceled because despite the, the fact that they ordered enough vaccines to accommodate what they were hoping would be a huge turnout, the province can't seem to figure out where, how to get it. They ordered fifteen hundred uh, doses, and they only got two hundred in their in their shipment. And then the the, week, the weekend after, they ordered 
again, 1500, they got zero. And nobody seems to know where all these five extra 5 million doses of flu vaccine are. The go- and they, like the government has gone in a license plate, the, f- the simple flu vaccination program that was supposed to help alleviate COVID-19. And nobody seems to figure out where these flu vaccines are. And I'm sitting there going, wow, these guys can't even roll out the flu vaccine program. That's an annual thing. And we're expecting them to now be able to to roll out a COVID-19 vaccination program whenever the vaccine arrives. I'm, I don't have a lot of confidence that it's not going to be a complete mess up like it's been uh, with the flu vaccine. Yeah, my expectation is that even if it was... Even if there was a vaccine tomorrow, we're looking at six to 12 months to roll this thing out uh, to get to everybody. Um, And it's not going to be rolled out tomorrow. I mean, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, And, you know, I mean, I I have to mention again um, what the the politicians in Halton have been doing for the last two or three weeks, um, which now is a complete 180. Um, On October, I think it was the 25th, was when these letters were sent by uh, Halton MPPs, PC MPPs, uh, plus the mayor of Burlington and the mayor of uh, Milton, plus another letter from all the municipal leaders in Halton saying, we're different. Um, those were the, We're different was the words actually spoken by Mayor Burton. That wasn't in the letters. Uh, but, but basically saying Halton doesn't need to be sent back. Now, the most infuriating thing about this is that what we're seeing today in statistics, which is statistics going up and up and up, those infections were being transmitted pretty much on the day those letters were being sent. So all it required was a little bit of foresight to know that this was highly likely to be on the way. I mean, apart from anything else, it just seems incredibly politically short-sighted to have gone that road, to have pressured Halton to be treated differently. Uh, to try and do this process of negotiating with a virus, uh, of trying to work around uh, the regulations to find a way to make, you know, uh, like you said a number of weeks ago, um, to say, well, we'll, ha- well, we'll put things in a tent outside. Well, a tent is just a room. <laughs> you know, the fact that it's outside doesn't keep the virus away necessarily. It was incredibly foolish. I wrote uh, an article on the website uh, a week or so ago now saying, you know, they owe us an apology. And uh, since then, I kind of worded that fairly mildly. I would now put that much strongly and say, that, yeah, they really owe us an apology because that was a huge mistake. Uh, it was stupid. It was unnecessary. And uh, the price of that may way, well have been higher COVID statistics now than we needed to have. And that doesn't help anybody, at least no. of all business. We're, we're, we, I think we're right now, we need the politicians to step back. Um, I, I really do believe that. I think, you know, the premier and the mayors, and not just in Halton, we, we've had mayors from all over, you know, in uh, all, all, all over kind of chime in and say, oh, we're, you know, we're, we got a, a handle on it. And no, we, we, we don't clearly. Our numbers are going up and up and up. I don't see any region that has a clear path to victory over this pandemic right now. So far, we just have regions that are not as affected as others. But that can change. And I, and I think and I think the problem is that we, we've been so reactionary to this pandemic. We, we don't have a proactive plan. Every time you hear Doug Ford stand, step at the microphone and give his stern dad warning to all the yahoos uh, in Toronto and Peel, uh, and presumably now we'll, we'll hear it for Halton and Hamilton as well, uh, that, you know, we need to get our act together and, you know, 
by, you know, he has no problem with putting us in a lockdown so fast. And it's like, then do it, do it now. It's like, put, put your money where your mouth is because by the time the numbers get up to a point that you think a lockdown is necessary, it's too late. Those numbers will keep on climbing. And like the, the, the virus, the virus doesn't care about your, you know, your disappointment in us. I mean, I don't know where this 800 pound gorilla went, but it's more of a kind of three pound little bunny rabbit as far as I can see. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, and I'm being flippant about it, but I mean, you know, this is lives. People are dying because of the decisions that are being made. It seems to me, if you look at, you know, worldwide and you say, well, you know, Ontario is not the only place having these problems. Sure. But if you look at the places that have really made a mess up, have really got this wrong every time, it's the politicians stepping in, trying to negotiate with a pandemic, um, refusing to take it seriously, trying to keep businesses open. We've seen it in the US. We've seen it now in Ontario. Uh, you look at the UK. Uh, look at the parts of Europe where, where they didn't move quickly enough uh, out of the gate. Every time it's been treated less seriously than it should have been, we've paid, everybody have, has paid a heavy price. When did we get this right? When were we most united as a province, as a country? When did we when did we flatten the curve? In those early days when the politicians said, we need to get out of the way, we need to do what the doctors tell us. We got it right at that point. We did flatten the curve. We got this thing under control. And then the politicians said, well, hey, we've been, you know, we haven't been doing enough the last couple of weeks. I guess we better start sticking our noses in again. Uh, you know, and, and I'm someone who ran as a pol- to be a politician. <laughs> I believe in government. I believe in politicians being, many of them being good people with excellent intentions who can have enormous forces for good. But in this case, you cannot be political with a disease. You have to follow what the scientists tell you, who know so much more than we do, who understand statistics in a far more scientific and intelligent way than... I'm sorry, the mayors of Halton and Burlington who were talking about scientific evidence and know nothing about science. I find uh, it interesting that every just, public health official uh, who has access to social media, has, nobody has pla- has uh, praised that letter uh, as being a, a path forward. No one has praised Doug Ford's handling so far. Everyone has been highly critical of both him and Dr. Williams. We're starting to see calls for Dr. Williams' uh, resignation, but I think he's retiring in February, so that might be a null point uh but we're, i mean we're seeing we're, we're seeing that this is not the path we want to go down i'm not seeing it's frustrating to to see this i want you know we want the photo op as opposed to doing the hard work the photo ops will come later you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll take that we'll, there'll be plenty of time for victory later but we need to do the hard work now i i, I think i a person everything i've read and again i'm not a scientist but the the solution a big part of it has to be better testing. We need to ha- be able to test randomly and widely and get a good good idea of where the virus is in our province. Waiting until you're infected and you show up for a COVID test doesn't, it's again, a reactionary program or sorry, reactionary uh, solution to this problem. We, we need to be proactive. We need to get ahead and find out where, where is the virus. If you want to tar- if you want to tar- talk a targeted economic plan, but we, that's not what's happening now. We, we don't have that. We have a just, oh, well, go, go, go until the virus gets so bad that we need to shut it down. And then you're, you're as a business owner, you're told that weekend, oh, hey, uh, we're going to shut you down on Monday. So good luck to you. And we won't let you know how it goes. And that's 
when you live in that solution in that environment, business owners get panicky. They they're they're concerned for their livelihoods, their employees, and that's understandable. But then it's just go go go, and that just fuels spread and growth. We we need to we need to start thinking differently. We need to start embracing technology. We need to start embracing you know, it's. I believe that we can come up with a solution to this. I really do. I think we're smart. We're smart people. This isn't a, a foregone conclusion, but we need to be willing to change and to start thinking outside the box and don't be worried. Stop being fearful of poll numbers dropping and and stop trying to make political hay out of this. And I suspect he may have learned, uh, Premier Ford may have uh, learned that lesson this week. I mean, I wish he hadn't spent that time doing a tour of the province in the summer uh, on his little victory tour, because, you know, maybe he could have spent that time doing some planning. But I mean, it, this is almost too easy to be critical. Uh, but but boy, he gave us the he gave us the ammunition. So what do you get? And, and then today you forwarded me an article this morning from uh, Press Progress showing that um the province is actually going to spend on its usual budget. It's going to spend less on long-term care in the coming year than it did this year. I mean, it's, it's actually cut the budget. And then the previous year, it also underspent its own budget uh, by 93 million. Now the amounts that they're spending less than are not huge, but the point is it shouldn't be going, come on, it shouldn't be going down right now. I mean, I mean, Jill spoke of, of the place where she is. She was highly complimentary of the staff, highly complimentary of the institution that her mother is in, but said, you know, it's worn out. It's tired. Um, the design of these places is often absolutely wrong for controlling the spread of uh, infection. This we need to start looking at long-term care in the same way as we look at schools, hospitals, things like this. This is this is one of the basic functions of of a government to make sure that at the start of life and at the end of the life, you don't have to worry. You will have the care that you need, uh, rather than you know the, the, this uh, private for-profit uh, institutions, um, which seem quite clearly to be doing a far worse well, job than um, the, the problem than is. We're expensive investments. Like, like human beings are expensive little creatures to uh, to put money in. I I've, I can't think of a single case where it's actually profitable uh, to to treat humans. Like when when we get sick, and I do mean like sick sick, like we're talking cancer or any other long term illness, it were expensive things to to invest in. So I'm, I'm not surprised why for profit medicine isn't the solution here. We're, 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 you know, you can't, we, you can't treat us on the cheap and especially as we get older and we're, we're become more frail and require more specialized, uh, highly trained services to keep us comfortable and keep us live, you know, alive. Yeah. You, you can't just do this on the cheap. You can't find a way. Oh, you know, let's, let's cut a corner here and a cut a corner there. Cause after a while you're right. You're as Jill said, you're living in a dilapidated housing structure that was scheduled to be demolished. And you have well-meaning, good people trying to do the best they can, under under-equipped and understaffed. And it's it's got it. That's the thing is we've we've known about this since March. In March, the 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 curtain was ripped away, and we saw the ugly truth of our neglect in in the long-term care, and, and as well as in our, our social 
service programs for people with disabilities, we just saw like, oh, wow, we've, we've totally been neglecting this for decades, for generation. And now it's come back to haunt us in one gruesome global pandemic. And it's disheartening to say, well, they're still trying to do it on the cheap. They're still trying to find ways to cut corners and save, to the, save the almighty taxpayer some money. And I'm saying, no, 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 this, is, this isn't how I, I want my, my government to treat the less fortunate. Well, and we will, every single one of us will be that less fortunate person. Uh, you know, if we live a long and healthy life, the, the chances that we'll end up in long-term care just increase, don't decrease. Um, uh, we will be there. Uh, we have to have the foresight to see, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, one, two, three, three of my immediate uh, ancestors, parents, grandparents have ended up in long-term care one way or another uh, because of dementia, things like that. You know, so I'd like to know that uh, I'm not going to be living in a danger zone when I get to that age. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to pay in my tax, you know, like to, to know that I will be safe when I get to that stage, I'm willing to cough that up in well, my tax. I mean, we've, uh, we've seen that public health care is the way to go. You know, when, when you pool all of our tax dollars into a single universal paying healthcare system, it works because we have the bargaining power to go after more uh, more useful treatments. We're able, we're able to, to, to bring the cost of specialized care down as opposed to you or I having to pay for our, our parents and you know maybe pay into some kind of privatized insurance program or, or whatever have you. Um, you know, a, a public option is a more sensible way to go. Uh, you know, and I, I, but I think of the entire our chat. I was thinking of of Laura's experience with her daughter Emily putting her daughter into uh, into a group home because, and I get it. You you need to have some kind of specialized care as your child gets older, but the price to pay is that you're cut off from from the from your loved ones. Your your routine, and especially people with, with disabilities with developmental disabilities, a lot of their lives are structured around routine. And familiar faces, and to all of a sudden have it thrown up ended, you know, and to have and nobody says, well, let's try and fix it. Let's let's try and come up with a, a solution to go forward so that you can develop a new routine. It, it, it honestly is just borderline cruel and inhumane. If if it isn't by definition, uh, to, to, I can imagine. I can just I can imagine uh, Laura's story of having your daughter not being able to hug your daughter. Or your, you know, if you know your son or, or whomever, but you have a, a an employee uh, who who has to do it for you. It, it's just it, there's, there's something in, there's something inherently wrong here, and we if you're, we should all be collectively outraged about this and saying this is a this has to be fixed now. Uh, and there's a way. Uh, and parents like uh, Laura. If you say to them, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then you can hug your daughter, they will do X, Y, and Z. I mean, they're, they're, they will do anything to, to, to do that. We know that there are ways to make it safe for one person to hug another person. And it's about you know ensuring uh, your social network is sufficiently reduced that it's, that it's safe. But people uh, in the long-term care, if they have a long, stressful day, they can decide, well, I'm going to go walk in the park. I'm gonna. It's a nice day out. I'm just gonna go for a walk in the park to decompress and to get out of my headspace and just, you know, bask in the sunshine. And they should absolutely. 
but those people in the long-term care homes and in the group homes, they can't. They've been locked away, and their loved ones now have to stare at them through a screen door or, or a screen window. And there's just something inherently wrong. And if that, and I, you have to wonder, is that the price that we're expected to pay to get through COVID-19? I'm not sure I, I want to, I want to spend, I want to pay that price. I, I, I don't want to be that society that we say that's acceptable. So the rest of us can have a bit of comfort, especially because you and I both said this, it's not working. Our numbers aren't stabilizing. They're not going down. They're not being managed. They're just going up. So clearly this plan is not working. We need something different. And we, we need we need smarter people than than us, Roland, and smarter people than Doug Ford and the mayors of Ontario to step in and say, let's figure out a new way of doing business uh, because this is not, it's not working. Well, I think that's a good good place to leave it. Uh, I'll just mention that everybody will want to listen to our episode next week as well, where we're hoping to have uh, people speaking to another recent development that really affects the 905 region, which is uh, changes to uh, legislation and regulation on conservation authorities. Uh, very different subject, but but again, something that, that will impact every single one of us and the, the cities that we live in in the years going ahead. So that's it for this week, everybody. And uh, make sure you check in again for our next episode uh, next Tuesday. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.